So I'll begin the talk tonight with a quote from Rick Fields. Rick Fields was a, a Tibetan practitioner for many years, a fellow I liked a lot. He said this, he said, spirituality, spirituality is that place where the utterly intimate and the vastly infinite meet. Spirituality is that place where the utterly intimate and the vastly infinite meet. And that's a beautiful understanding of what we're doing, even when we sit here for 40 minutes or when we practice at any time, whether we're formally sitting or whether we're informally practicing. There's the opportunity to be very intimate with our experience, extremely intimate with this human experience of what it is to be alive. And then to discover the different dimensions of who and what we are that includes the ordinary or the conventional or the regular or the normal and also includes the extraordinary or the unconventional or the irregular or the magical or the numinous is a word I like. It's very similar. If you don't know the word, it's similar to the word sacred, numinous. And so what I wanted to talk about tonight was this intimacy of practice, the intimacy of the Dharma, the intimacy of what it means to be mindful of ourselves and each other and of life itself. And the kind of potential that happens when we actually get here in this moment, in this aliveness, in this reality, with this consciousness, and the kind of different levels of intimacy that can happen when we're open and uh, accepting of our experience, of our direct experience, and the knowing of it. And seeing what is it to get intimate with, and the simplest thing, to, of course, in this kind of practice that we can begin with is just get intimate with the body and the breathing. I mean, it's very simple practice that's done in many, many, many traditions, Buddhist traditions and also non-Buddhist traditions, is just being aware of the body breathing and the fact that the body's breathing. And so how close can we get to the breath, right? Instead of we can, we can be aware of it like this, I'm here and I'm watching my breath. Or we can be aware of it like this, where we're aware and breathing and the two are together. Or we can be knowing the breath without even thinking about doing it. We can simply be aware of the isness of being alive and the fact that the body's breathing itself. And we're not even doing it. Do most people know, anybody not know that, that mostly we're not breathing? Meaning the breathing is doing itself, right? I don't, I'm not doing my breathing most of the time. I mean, every once in a while I try to take a deeper breath if I'm running or swimming or I'm doing something, you know, interesting, like active, physically active. But day to day, the breathing's just doing itself. And in fact, 
for me, and this is of course a certain good fortune, the whole body's doing itself. The heart's beating and the blood is moving around and the most of the nerve endings work and you know, all the synapses are connected and it's all doing itself. And I'm not doing anything except a little bit being aware of the whole thing happening on its own. And the magic of being intimate with this aliveness is what the practice is pointing us at. <clears throat> so I, I wrote some questions really for myself as I was preparing the talk, but I thought I would give you the questions because you can write your own talk later about intimacy if you I, you know, can we be intimate, open, and accepting of our experience? That's, that's all we're doing when we're sitting down. So we're being open, accepting, aware of the experience. The body, the breathing, sounds, feelings, reactions, liking, not liking, thoughts. All we're doing is learning how to simply be intimate with the aliveness that's sitting here and not taking it too personally, even though it's very personal on a certain level. The par and part of the paradox of intimacy, this kind of intimacy, is it's very personal and it's not personal at the same time. That's a paradox. Paradox of, sometimes I call it, part of the paradox of the Dharma itself or the paradox of being itself. And then the second question I have is, why do I want to talk about intimacy? <clears throat> I wrote down for myself. And it's nice, I, I, got, I got intimate with the writing of it, meaning, so I put question marks before and after the sentence, and I like that. I'm like, oh, maybe we should always do that, have question marks on both sides of the question because before we even can even have the question, we're questioning something. So I wrote about the beauty of practice itself. It's such a simple practice we're doing here. And, and really, because on a certain level, we're not doing anything. We're simply learning how to be and how to be a human being, which is what the Buddha pointed at. He pointed at our, our ordinariness that reveals our extraordinariness. You know, he and he himself, he just said, he said, oh, I just want, I'm going to just sit down and I'm going to sit here until I understand what this is, what this human experience is. And then when he realized what it was, when he awoke or was awakened, he then spent some time reflecting on it. It was a week that he was just walking around, really, because he still was still understanding what happened, and he didn't know what to do. And then he realized he needed to teach because this possibility of what he realized was available for all human beings. And we're in that realm of all human beings, right? Anybody not in that realm, right? 
we're all human beings, right? And so we want to get intimate with this humanness that's right here. That, and sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes you might really like being alive and human, and sometimes you may not like being alive and human, and most of the time you might not even think about being alive and human. You're just alive and human, and you're doing alive and human things like the groceries or going to sleep or working or whatever it is that you do. But here we stop or we slow down or we relax and we pay attention to what's right here. And I'm pointing at myself, but really I'm pointing at each of you. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to what it is to listen and hear me and even have some idea what the hell I'm saying. Right? Because, you know, I've done this many times and sometimes I get up and talk and it's like, what's in Vanna? But then, no, Right? It's a whole different thing happens. And it's better if I use just normal language than try to converse with you in my own language. But, you know, sometimes you just do the best you can. So the beauty of practice or the magic of practice or the becoming intimate with being alive itself, right? Because anybody here not alive, right? Please raise your hand if you're not alive, right? Everybody so far seems to be alive. That's good. What is that? What is that? And can we get intimate with the aliveness itself? And it's why awareness is such a beautiful practice because it's so magical because of course we're not doing the awareness, right? Everybody, anybody not agree with that statement? We're not doing the awareness? That clear? Okay, everybody's got that, good, I like that. And so getting intimate with our life means to get intimate with what's here 24-7. Because this is the only moment there is, is right now, is this moment. And the Buddha pointed at this over and over again. Oh yeah, he t said, oh, the past is gone. The future is an idea. It's a plan. The past is a memory, right? This is the only actual alive moment there is, is right now. And, you know, for better or for worse, you're sitting in the Unitarian Church and listening to me and, you know, I'm giving a good talk or a bad talk or however it is to you. But this is the only moment for all of us. This is our life right now. And so can we wake up to this? Because this is where waking up happens. This is where uh, um, the Dharma is right here, sitting here in, in your seat. And so the intimacy with the moment allows us to wake up and start to see the beauty, I believe, the beauty and both the simplicity and the complexity of life, and whether it's in the breath or the sounds or the sensations or the feelings or the thoughts, they're all alive. And really they're all doing themselves and we're aware of them. 
And we often forget that we, getting, we get identified with them, with their my thoughts, my feelings, my sounds, my sights. And you know, we, we have some relationship to all of them, but we're not doing them. And so are they actually ours? Or do we, maybe a better way to say it is, do we own them? Or are we here to be aware of the whole show of what it is to be alive? And also as we, as we start to get more intimate with what's here, we can get more intimate with what's here, with one another. And that's really actually quite magical and beautiful. And sometimes, like everything, sometimes we really like it to get uh, intimate with one another. And sometimes we really don't like getting intimate. We like, no, I want my space. That's a very 21st century uh, way to talk about it. That's called, it's a version in the 21st century. I want my space. And I like my space, believe me, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm making a little bit of fun of it, but it's true, I like my space. I even, I tell my wife that, that you know, and I'm like, I love you, but get away from me, you know. <laughs> I need my space. Uh, and, and it's true, this is actually true, because we've been talking about it a little, and, uh, and I say, and what happens is when I get my, when I get to be intimate with myself, then I can be intimate with her. But if I'm not, if I'm not here with myself, it's too much. I don't want it. First thing in the morning, I'm, I don't want to hear everything she's doing and what she's going to do and how her life is. And I'll hear. I can hear it later. It's okay. I've heard it for the last twenty years or something. And 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 I just want. I just want to see what what's here today. Because what's here today and being intimate with what's here today is not the same as what was here yesterday. And we may have the idea or the belief or the projection that what was here yesterday is what's here today, but we're making that up. The life of today is, has never happened before and will never happen again. Just like this meeting at SFI, never happened before and will never happen again. This is it. And it doesn't mean, you know, Pawan won't be here next week, you might be here, I'll be here in two weeks, but whatever happens here tonight will never happen again. <clears throat> so I was also thinking about um, what I like about being intimate both with myself and with others is it's a heartfelt practice to be intimate. Really, it's, uh, it's, there's something I love about being intimate with life, like really being here with what's true and what's alive and what's real. And that kind of love is not just, oh, I'm falling in love, it's a more Loving kindness, not quite the right phrase either, but it's, it's, a, it's more of a, a loving of the Dharma 
And dharma means truth. It's loving what's true, loving what's actually here, loving the aliveness of this moment and the presence of what it is to be alive and the magic of it because as I'm sure you all know, and it's why I like doing the Maranasati retreat, we're all gonna die. We're not gonna be here forever, right? Maranasati, contemplating death, awakening to life. This is, this is magical. And so to be intimate with the magic of this time or this moment. And I wanna be careful here. Because magic doesn't mean, oh, it's always fun. Because it's not always fun. Or it's not always the great thing or the right thing or the beautiful thing. or the It's real. And that's what we start to love is reality. Even when reality isn't exactly what we, the way we want it to be. We start to love the truth of the Dharma of what's here because that's freeing. And that's really what's beautiful about being intimate is it's freeing. And so we can be intimate with uh, certain things. Many people are intimate. What do you think people are most intimate with these days? Work. Work, okay. Their phone. That's it. That's is my opinion, right? I mean, this is really an interesting reality, right? Like if I was walking down the street like this, you wouldn't even notice it. Even if I didn't have the phone in my hand, it would just look like I had a phone in my hand because everybody's, you know, most of us have phones in our hands these days and we're intimate. Not only, and of course, many of you know this, but some of you don't. Uh, when we do the silent retreats, and I'm, I'm going to teach one soon, uh, the Maranasati, we do a ritual now at the beginning of the retreat where we put out a big bowl and we do a certain ceremony where everybody brings their phone and puts it in the bowl and to let go of it. And a lot of people don't want to because they're a little attached to being intimate with their phone. And it's like, you know, and I understand it, but I'm so grateful that when I was a young man practicing, there were not cell phones. Because it was like, oh my God, I thought it was just hard to stop talking, you know. <laughs> and now, now people have a hard time giving up their phone because your whole life is on your phone. And it's, it's one of the great things about being old, because I'm old now, is I don't live on my phone. And I keep feeling like, oh, I should be on it a little more. And I mean, I'm still on my computer plenty. That's thank you, I appreciate the support. <laughs> She's thanking her head, no, don't be on your phone. Because it's like just great that, I, and even now, I mean, I, I looked at the phone, I wanted to make sure, because Pawan's teaching next week, I wanted to check and make sure that was right. and. Um, and then I looked and I saw, oh, my phone was turned on during the whole meditation because I don't get phone, I don't get calls on my phone. And it's great because this is really old. I have a landline at home and I, that's the number. Uh, <laughs> that's the number I give. If you want to call me, call me on the landline, no problem. But, but 
the cell phone? No, that's, you know, that's for, really, that's for travel. That's really for GPS. That's really, Waze. I do like Waze very much. So, um, so uh, different ways to experience intimacy is to be intimate with something like your phone or your car or your work or your partner or your friends or your community or your colleagues or your political affinity. You can be intimate with any of that. And then we can be intimate with ourselves, right? With this body and breathing. And this is um, something I wrote quite a while ago. I saw it, I liked it. So I said, the birth of human life is characterized by our first breath, right? Death is characterized by our last breath. When the breath ends, we expire. When we breathe in, we inspire. And the, the inspiration brings spirit to life. The word spirit comes from the Latin spiritus, which means breath or spirit. Or in, in, inspiration means in breath. And the word was originally used uh, to speak of a divine or supernatural natural being in the sense of imparting a truth to someone, right? To inspire someone, to breathe in, to be intimate with our life and our breath is to breathe in spirit. And it's to begin to realize more of who and what we are, which is not just the body and not just the physicalness of the heartbeat and the lungs and the breath coming in and out, but the spirit of what brings you here tonight even. And so as we devote ourselves to practice and even the simple practice of being mindful of the body and the breathing, uh, we find our spirit and the numinousness or the sacredness or the honorific or the nobility it's a word that's used in Buddhism the nobility of being a human being not just a human doing and the numinous in Buddhism really is sometimes pointed at called true nature or Buddha nature and it's that what, what is within us that is really timeless or universal or pure or essential. It's sublime. It's what's sublime about who and what we are, what's magical about who and what we are, what's totally unique. Have you ever noticed that you're the only you who you are? Like nobody else is you? Right? There's not two, whoever you are, Eugene or, or Clint or Paul or Gail or Randy or Sarah. There's not two, right? Even though somebody else may have your name, they're just faking it really. <laughs> they're not the real you. You're, you're the real you. And I mean that seriously. It's something quite beautiful and magical. I mean, again, I'm at a certain... Uh, um, 
role here as a teacher. So I get to have a certain view and see all of you. And I get to see the beauty or the magic and the difference of all of you sitting here. The phrase that the Buddha often used when he talked about what it meant to wake up was to realize the unconditioned, the unconditioned, that which is not bound by our changing conditions, the changing nature of conditions, but that which is realized as essential or true nature. And in Buddhism, uh, the first place that one practices generally is being mindful of the breath, bringing the spirit in. And then there's a whole nother level of being intimate, not just being aware of the breath or intimate with our breath and body or intimate with the separativity the duality of the experience, but the unity of the experience, the oneness of the experience. And it's beautifully, it's talked about in the Shin Shin Ming, which is really one of my favorite Buddhist texts of all time. If you can ever spend some time, you want to read a great, beautiful text, read the Shin Shin Ming, which is translated as verses from the faith mind or verses from the mind of absolute trust. Absolute trust. How do you spell it? Uh, I just the the spelling that usually it's spelled S H I N S H I N M I N G, three words. But actually, I found a, a different spelling uh, lately. It's X I N X I N, and then second word M I N G. Shin Shin Ming. In my yeah. And uh, here's uh, a quote from the Shin Shin Ming. And it, it, it's, sometimes this text is familiar to people because the opening line is very famous, which is, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And that's a beautiful, just that is beautiful. And then it goes on and on and on. And it, it just keeps going. And then at some point, this is near the end of the Shin Shin Ming, it says, one thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. One thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. One thing, all things move about and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in this faith is the road to non-duality because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. And it's just a deep, deep, beautiful teaching here because one thing, all things move about and intermingle. It's just talking about life. It's just what's happening here. You know, we sit here and we're listening and, you know, we're hungry and I want some water or, you know, yeah, I need to go to the bathroom or you remember, oh, yeah, I've got to go to work tomorrow and do this. I should write a note. And, da, da, da. and it, Or somebody says, will say something and it'll perk you up or I'll say something and it'll bring you down or, you know, it'll just... 
all things just happen. It, you know, life happens, right? Move among and intermingle without distinction. In other words, we can be aware of it all. And the awareness means we're aware of it, but we're not bound to it. We're aware of it, and we see, oh, it's all happening on its own for the most part, like just being aware of ourselves when we're sitting. And then they, they go on, to live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Now that's freedom. And that's really freedom for many of us, because many of us are very self-critical about not being perfect. And I include myself in this. Really, it's such a pain in the ass to be critical of ourselves when actually, for the most part, we're not in control of reality, right? Reality's just gonna do its thing, whether we like it or not, want it or not, you know, are happy about it or not. And, and, we, and I'm not saying, oh, you have to like it all, be aware of it, but don't blame yourself for it. There are so many causes and conditions that create a moment that the Buddha said, if you try to actually blame yourself for karma, you'll go crazy. You really, he said that, he's quite a wise man. Because there are so many causes and conditions that are historical and uh, environmental and global and familial and psychological, etc., that create any moment that to blame yourself is just not helpful at all. And so to think that we're, we're, we're supposed to be perfect or do it right is dukkha. And I hope everybody knows the word dukkha means suffering in Buddhism. And so to live in this, to, to, be, to live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. And then it's just trusting reality even though reality's not going to do what we want, right? And, you know, it's just part of the deal. And so both, both dual and non-dual reality are important. And that is summed up so beautifully in the teaching by Dogen, who, who says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget, or in my interpretation, let go of the self. To let go of the self is to be intimate with all things. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget or let go of the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. When intimate with all things, your body and mind, as well as the body and mind of others, drops away. No trace of enlightenment remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. That's a great teaching, quite a deep teaching, right? We become intimate with everything, and it's all happening on its own, and we're aware of all of it, and we begin to relax instead of having to fix it or make it right or get it right or be the right something, right? And even our concepts about body and mind, which are great, it's great to have concepts. You know, I have a body and mind, 
but I also am not my body and mind. They're here, but they're not the definition of who and what I am. And it's same when I'm not projecting my definition of you based on your body and mind, but I start to see you as something more than your body and mind. The aliveness that is listening to me is right here. And that aliveness, at least to me, is quite magical. Right? And he says, so we drop off body and mind and the mind of others. No trace of enlightenment remains. Of course, that's the greatest line in the world. Great kicker line, right? It's even enlightenment can become a thing, can become something we make up, we project, or we think it looks like this, right? We, it, it's a statue. Enlightenment is not a statue. This is a statue, trust me. Actually, it's not even, it's just a piece of metal. We think it's a statue, but actually it's a statue. <laughs> but but, um, but he, says, he says, no trace of enlightenment or no trace of awakening remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. Again, he's pointing at a very deep understanding of reality and what it means to be intimate with reality that is right here and gone in the same moment, right? All the moments so far of uh, this talk are gone, totally gone. And there was a couple good moments, in my opinion, to the talk. And then again from the Xin Xin Ming, this simplicity is pointed at over and over again. If you wish to move <clears throat> in the one way, <clears throat> excuse me uh, if you wish to move in the one way and it's a capital O it means in the unified way in the non-dual way if you wish, wish to move in the one way do not dislike even the world of the senses and ideas indeed to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment right Again, beautiful, beautiful teaching from the Xin Xin Ming, right? If you wish to move in the one way, if you wish to become unified with reality, one with reality, there's nothing to dislike, not even the thoughts or the feelings or the senses or what's good or what's bad. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment. And important to say, to accept them fully doesn't mean we don't go out and change things. To accept them fully means we can respond with all our intelligence and all our wisdom and all our creativity and all our power because some things need to be changed. But we accept the reality of what's here without just being reactive to it. We can be responsive in a real way, an adult way, a mature way, a human being that is awake. And then a couple more pieces I wanted to say. And next question I have is, why do you want to be intimate with somebody else or something? Wanting to know more or know things 
I, I wrote this to myself. I, oh, I want to know things more. I want to. I want to get closer to things. I want to. I want to really understand things. And as same with people, I want to really know somebody or get closer to them or be connected to people or feel my communion with people. And because why? It's totally selfish. Because it's good when I feel that when that happens. I don't feel alone. I feel like, oh, I'm here, and I'm here with all of us, and we're here together. And that's true, even though it doesn't always feel that way. We forget that we're actually all here together at this time on the earth. And it's the same with the earth itself. To be intimate with the earth is to really get, it's a living planet that could die and may die. Somebody was somebody in another spiritual tradition called me today and he was talking about how a certain psychic realm of reality says, oh, this is a dangerous time, the earth could really end. And I'm like, I don't need a psychic to tell me that. I mean, come on, this is like, what's going on? Is we're killing the life of the planet and it could really die. And, you know, I mean, I know on, on the deepest level, something else will happen. But on, a, on the most conventional level, I don't want that to happen at all. And so being intimate means to be touched or moved or, or um, becoming real with, not just with myself, but with, even with my phone becoming real with it and becoming real with the earth or becoming real with my friends or with my wife. You know, we've been married long enough so everything goes up and down, you know, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not great. And, but I like it when it's great. And even when it's not great, I like it when we're real and we're intimate about the not greatness because that makes it great, actually. And that's really true, because we don't have, it's no, no relationship are perfect, we're just human beings. And, but to be intimate with things and people means we start to become more open and vulnerable and permeable to reality and to aliveness itself and to what it means to wake up in, in this very, uh, tender way because we're human and we're we're totally permeable from reality and from the truth of impermanence that everything is coming and going and and this is a magical moment of aliveness and it's going to go and so there's a kind of uh, uh, one can begin to taste the ineffable quality of impermanence, really, which is quite magical, that things are not permanent. There's a line that I like, I don't know who I borrowed it from, about the eros of shared impermanence. The eros of shared impermanence, because it's just, there's something erotic, and I don't mean Sexual. Remember, sexual is a subset of eros, and I like sexual, but but I'm talking about a bigger 
erotic world, which is that life is erotic. There's an eros to being alive itself. And I'm going to end, I'm going to read something that somebody sent me from Richard Rohr. Does anybody know who Richard Rohr is? Oh yeah, a few people know. Great. I didn't, I didn't know who he was, but he wrote uh, something about being utterly humbled by mystery. Utterly, and he's a Christian contemplative Jesuit? No. Franciscan, thank you. He said, I believe in mystery and multiplicity. I believe in mystery and multiplicity. To religious believers, this may sound almost pagan, but I don't think so. My very belief and experience of a loving and endlessly creative God led me to trust in both mystery and multiplicity. Multiplicity, multiplicity. I spent the, the season of Lent in Hermitage where I lived alone for 40 days. The more I am alone with the capital A alone, the more I am alone with the capital A alone, the more I surrender to ambivalence, to happy contradictions and seeming inconsistencies in myself and almost everything else. It's a beautiful teaching he's giving, right? Because as, he, as he's alone with himself and aloneness, capital A, the more he surrenders to ambivalence, happy contradictions, and seeming inconsistencies in myself and almost everything else. He's relaxing. He, he, almost everything else here, I didn't finish the sentence, including God. Paradoxes don't scare me anymore. People who have really met the Holy, capital H, are always humble. It's the people who don't know who usually pretend that they do know. People who have had any genuine spiritual experience always know that they don't know. People who've had any genuine spiritual experience always know that they don't know. They are utterly humbled before mystery. They are in awe before the abyss of it all, in wonder at eternity and depth and a love which is incomprehensible to the mind. My belief and comfort is in the depths of mystery, which should be the very task of religion. And so he's talking about getting intimate with reality and how it opens him beyond paradox beyond contradictions, beyond inconsistencies. They're just part of the show. They're part of what happens. And there's something bigger that they're part of and that we are part of. I'll say one more thing. I'll end with a poem from Rumi. He says, there is a community of spirit. There is a community of spirit. Join it and feel the delight. Feel the delight of walking in a noisy street and being the noise. Feel the delight of walking in the noisy street and being the noise. Drink all your passions and be a disgrace. Close both eyes to see with the other eye. So 
So those are a few thoughts tonight about intimacy and being intimate with life, with practice, with reality. And as you know, I like to hear what you have to say, any thoughts, reactions, opinions, liking, not liking. What do you like about intimacy or what do you not like about intimacy? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.